All right, guys, let us finish our study in Genesis chapter three. Hopefully we'll be able to finish the whole chapter today. But the last time we stopped, we dealt with the failure of the man. Now, notice I said the failure of the man again. Why? Because God only gave the commandment to Adam. Therefore, and the scripture always talks about by one man, sin was sin came into the world. So the transgression came because of Adam's sin, even though it was Eve who was the primary culprit to uh, influence Adam to do so. Remember, we talked about the serpent. Remember, for the moment, there are, well, in totality, there are four agents involved. One is an invisible agent. That is Satan himself, who has possessed the serpent, using him to influence the woman so that she will influence the man. So we have Satan, then we have the serpent, then we have the woman and the man. And all four of these agents we will find in today's teaching will fall under the judgment of God. But anyway, so basically Adam ate of the fruit, violated the commandment of God, in the, and it was basically using those three classification of sins. Remember, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. When the woman saw that the tree, the fruit was good for food and that it was attractive to her eyes and that it would make her wise. So these three classification for sins that we, she yielded to and the woman ate. And after that, passing it to her husband, he ate. And it was when he ate that the eyes, verse number seven, of both of them were open and they knew they were naked. Once again, the knowing they, that they were naked is not about physical sight. It's about a spiritual sight. Or should I even say spiritual blindness? Because that's what took place now that we have the birth of the sin nature that will be passed to all human beings. All right. And what did they do? They immediately tried to cup. Now, remember at the end of uh, chapter two, when the Bible talked about the physical as well as spiritual condition of both the man and the woman naked and unashamed. Now we see that condition has changed. They are still naked, but now we have the introduction of shame. Why? Sin always brings shame. And they both engaged to cover, try to cover their shameless. And we're going to see uh, that dealt with later on, too. They make a personal attempt to cover their own shameless by trying to make fig aprons to cover the very point of their uh, ashamedness. That is their lowering their sexual organs. OK, which we also made a, a notation last week in that it was the birth of pornography, sexual immorality in the thoughts were born. All right. And also to another point that we need to see. Remember that in um, their nakedness, there was no one else in the Garden of Eden at this at this moment. There were no children. So the question you have to ask yourself is, well, why are they covering themselves from themselves? They've been looking at each other the whole time. That's another result or consequence of sin or the new sin nature as it breeds in all of these. Uh, it, it damages. 
It damages all of the spiritual health that God had first implanted in between the man and the woman. Okay, what do I mean? In their nakedness, they were naked with each other. They hid nothing from each other. And I'm not, see, it's not just simply their physical appearance. They didn't hide from one another. But it also deals with their, in, their insides, their, their mentality, their emotion. In other words, the relationship between man and woman, husband and wife, men as well as women. Notice what I just said. The relationship between men as well as women has forever been changed. It was not intended for the battle of the genders. So the, the men versus the women and all of that, none of that was intended, but it is now all of this is born. And now we have the, this old battle of the sexes. And we're going to talk about that a little more. The battle of the sexes has begun, but even worse, the relationship between husband and wife has now been fractured almost beyond repair. Notice once again, they're not hiding themselves from anyone else. Nobody else is here. They're hiding themselves from one another and it continues even to this day. Okay. So now let's continue on. Let's talk about the consequences when God shows up. Verse number eight, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So what we see in verse number eight is it, it gives the, the picture. Notice when I told you earlier how the Garden of Eden basically became a temple for the man and the woman, a place for which they would be, they would meet God and they would worship God and whatever services the man would render in the Garden of Eden, it would be a rendering of his service, his worship to God. And this, as we as we're introduced to verse number eight, we can see that this was very common by the very language that it uses. It was a common place for God to come down from heaven to manifest himself in some way or another and to commune with the man and the woman. And it was clear that by the nature of this verse, it was an invited it was also an expected thing. They expected God to come down. So notice as they heard God in the garden, they did something that they normally did not do. Instead of welcoming, happily inviting God into their presence, what did they do? Because of sin, because their eyes are open, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord and sin makes us want to do that. It makes us want to run away. But the best thing to do is never run away because I know sin can be a shameful thing, but don't run away from sin. Confess sin. Tell God all about it and plead God to help you with whatever that sinful thing is in your life. Because why? If you confess your sin, you have mercy and blessing from God. And as we continue in this study, we're going to find out nobody truly, truly, simply confessed their sins. Everybody made an excuse. 
except the snake. He didn't get a chance, but let's continue. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Okay, so now we see there is the response of the man. God has to look for him. Now, here's the thing. And I, I want to make a big deal out of it, but, but here's what's going on. We are basically using what is called anthropological language. That is, we're speaking of God as if he is a man. Okay. God knows all things. God does not have to ask the man, where is he and what he has done? He already knows. God is simply engaging Adam in order that and he, in order that Adam would come forward and notice what I just told you guys and confess and talk to God about what he has done. God is not asking because he does not know. God is asking to engage him. Give Adam a chance to confess. All right. Now, we're not going to try to speculate what have been the end result of Adam's confession. All I would dare say is he will have mercy from God. Now, why would I say that? Because God fundamentally does not change. However, God has been from eternity past. He remains forever. God is a merciful God. He does not delight in judgment. Now, God's holy nature his character cannot be offended without satisfaction. We'll talk. And I don't want to get in all of that, guys. I really don't. But what I mean is this wages of sin is death to offend God's holy character requires something that does not change. But nevertheless, one characteristic of God does not cancel out another. You see what I mean? God can be a God who exacts judgment because of his holy nature. And still, you can say at the same time, God is love. One does not cancel out another. So God's judgment does not completely cancel out his mercy. They all exist wonderfully in an absolute way in the person of God. OK, but we don't want to get into all of that. But nevertheless, the point that we're trying to make is God is asking for Adam and trying to engage Adam. And notice verse number 10. Adam simply says, now he is afraid. He is afraid, a condition that did not exist before. Verse 11. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat again? Trying to do what? Engage Adam. God already knows he's eaten of the tree. Okay. And so he simply is asking him, have you disobeyed me? And come forward, confess those sins. Does Adam confess? Verse 12. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Now, notice what Adam did instead of Adam simply coming forward to confess that, yes, Lord, I did eat of the tree. 
Notice he almost basically blames God for his sin. Notice what he says. He says, you know what? It was the woman that you gave to me. In, in the sense of saying, had you never made and gave me this woman, I wouldn't have broken the commandment. But hey, I did. I did. I broke the commandment. <laughs> all right. All right. So he blames God and he blames the woman for his own disobedience. And so now he passes the book. Right. So now God goes to the woman. 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman. What is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now notice what it says. He went to the woman, asked her, what did she do? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and then I ate. Now this brings us to a very valuable portion in the scripture. And I'm, and I want to pull that verse up for you guys right now, because we find out in second Corinthians, chapter 11 and also in first Timothy chapter two, that this becomes significant. What am I talking about? The deception of the woman. Why? Because the scriptures teach that only the woman was deceived by the serpent. Or in other words, let me say it this way, guys. When the serpent was trying to sell those bill of goods talking about you will not surely die and that your eyes will be open and you'll know good and evil like God. And remember that I told you in the previous lesson that her, that Eve's husband, Adam was standing right beside her listening because she gave the fruit right to him when she took a bite of it. Okay. But the point is that when the serpent was trying to sell those bill of goods, those lies to Eve, she believed them. And Adam never believed it. He may have eaten from the fruit and we're going to see his reasoning. God's going to even tell you that. And, and he ate because he followed his wife. He ate simply. And if you'll let me say it this way, guys, he ate because she told him to eat it. He did not eat it because he was listening to the serpent and he believed the bag of lies that the serpent was telling. But Eve actually believed those things. Eve actually believed it. And when we get to second Corinthians, Paul speaks of it. Second Corinthians, as well as in the book of Timothy, Paul speaks of Eve's believing the serpent's lies being deceived. And also in the issue of first Timothy, Paul relates to that issue of Eve being deceived by the serpent. He brings a relationship to that in dealing with the position of women in the church in the sense that women should not be teachers and women should not exercise authority in the church. He uses two particular reasons. Number one, it was never intended to be that way because Adam was created first. Number two, because of Eve's deception, Eve's deception. So he uses this particular situation to tie in to two points. It was never intended and Eve was actually deceived. But the main point that I'm trying to bring here, guys, is the woman believed the lies. Adam did not. Okay. All right. And so notice again what happened. The woman, when God went to the woman, 
She didn't come clean and simply say, yes, I disobeyed and I ate. She tried to throw blame to the serpent. And then finally, she acknowledged that she did eat. All right. So now let's get to the serpent. The Lord God said to the serpent. So now God moves to the serpent. Because you have done this. And before I even get start reading the verse, notice the Lord didn't ask the serpent what he had done. <laughs> He's not of the higher order of creatures like man was. Okay. So a certain degree of responsibility in that sense, in that sense, doesn't fall to him, but only judgment falls to him. Only judgment falls to him. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field on your belly, you will go and the, and dust you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Now, let's deal with that because of the complexity of what's going on. So let's just deal with it piece by piece. So when the Lord gets to the serpent, notice immediately he he brings judgment upon the serpent. And the judgment is not simply for this serpent alone, but all that should come forward from him from this point on, all of them. Okay? So because you cursed are you more than all of the cattle. That curse simply brings the very, it, it, it lies in opposition to the serpent's position. In other words, the serpent before he had sinned was the greatest of all of the cattle and, and all of the beasts. But now notice he becomes the least of all. So because of his influencing of mankind to sin, he now goes from the greatest of all of them to the least of all of them. He now goes from being in an upright position, notice, to now on your belly and dust you will eat. Dust you will eat simply means not just simply saying that the serpent actually eats the dust. All right. But it is a way of simply saying of his low estate, of his low estate. But on your belly simply means that he goes now from being a creature who is able maybe to walk upright to now he now goes to slithering on his belly. All right. All the days of his life. 15 key verse. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now notice this key. Let's take this apart piece by piece because Genesis 3 and 15, this verse is the first verse that preaches, proclaims the gospel. What do I mean when I say it proclaims the gospel? It speaks of the coming of Jesus Christ. It speaks of the first as well as the second coming of Jesus. So therefore we see the beginning of the gospel in verse 15. God notice it is God who said he is the one who puts the enmity. He is the one who puts the strife between the serpent and the woman. Now this not only goes to a, a physical level, physical snakes and women. But this also speaks. Now we begin to address. Remember, we talked about this. There were four parties involved. The invisible party was Satan. Now is the address 
to Satan himself. You got it? So this is no, no more so much an address to the serpent. This is now addressed to that great serpent that is the devil. And what does God say? He is the one that places the enmity between Satan and even women. And we see that particular divisive the, the, uh, um, attack that will the spiritual attack. That's what's going on. Spiritual attacks will be carried out against women and their seed all throughout scripture. For example, I don't want to just simply say these things. You move to Genesis chapter six. What do we see? One of the first instances of the spiritual attack, the sons of God, angelic beings, demonic angelic beings, saw the daughters of men, women. And what did they do? They created these half breed angel babies, angel and men babies, another demonic attack, right? Between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And that is, okay, okay, and I'm gonna spend a little time here. That is, now we have the introduction for the first time of the seed. And, and most times people think about, and that is the Messiah who will be Jesus, right? That is the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman is the Messiah. Jesus. And we start now opening that picture for the, the seed line from whom Jesus should descend from. But what is unique is he says, because notice in scripture, women are never counted for uh, genealogy, for seed lines. Only men are counted. The son of this, son of that, son of this, son of that. And we see that when we move into the very next chapters. But notice the prophecy here is unique. The seed does not come from a man. The seed actually comes from a woman. And it's because of that we can see why there is a spiritual attack from Satan on women. Namely, again, Jewish women. Okay. But anyway, the seed comes from a woman speaking of the messianic seed, Jesus. All right. But the point that I want to bring here is note. Okay. Let me slow it down a little bit more. And we also know that the seed, that the scriptures don't say at this particular time exactly how this is going to happen until hundreds of years later. In by the prophet Isaiah, I think somewhere like chapter seven, verse 14, when the Bible talks about the virgin that shall bring forth a child. And it's a long, long time before the Bible actually gives an explanation. And then it's an even longer time again on the birth of Jesus until it is actually fulfilled. But the point that I want to give to you is this. It talks the seed of the woman is a supernatural conception. The seed of the woman is a supernatural conception. Now notice again in verse 15, not only does it speak of the seed of the woman and remember we're talking about Satan also too. It talks about the seed of the serpent. Therefore, if the seed of the woman is a supernatural conception, the seed of the serpent 
parallel, equated, is also a supernatural conception. That is, either Satan himself, and that's what I actually believe, Satan himself, or one demonic, he will have a demonic angel to do it for him, okay? Will impregnate a human female with the son of Satan, and he will become, as we all know, the Antichrist. And we'll see that again later on, talked about it particularly in the book of Daniel, as well as uh, throughout scripture, we'll find other things talked about him. And the, like Second Thessalonians, um, and of course, Revelation. But the point is this, as there is a seed of the woman, supernatural, the Messiah Jesus. There will also be a seed of Satan, supernatural, the Antichrist. And what will be the result? It is a spiritual battle. He shall, he that is the seed of the woman, shall bruise you on the head. By bruising the seed of the serpent on the head, Antichrist, that simply is a statement of destruction. And we see that when finally, the serpent, Satan, as well as his seed, the Antichrist, are both cast into the lake of fire. That is the bruising on the head, complete destruction. Because if you stump the head, what happens? It causes death. All right. And you shall bruise him on the heel. So you can imagine as the heel is coming down on the head, the serpent snaps, jumps up and bite him. But the whole point is this. The bruising on the heel is not a death wound. So what we're referring to here spiritually is what? The death of the Messiah on the cross. That's Jesus as he was talking about. Now it is Satan's time. This is the time when he should come. To, the thing that was written concerning that he should do to him, the powers of darkness, this is their time. In other words, he was speaking of his crucifixion. But what happened? He did not remain dead. He rose from the grave. So therefore, it was simply a bite, a bruising on the heel and not something that destroyed him ultimately like Jesus will destroy Satan and the Antichrist ultimately. Okay. All right. So now he has dealt with what we have dealt with the judgment to the serpent. We have dealt with the judgment to Satan, verse 16. Now let us turn to, uh, should I dare say, God now turns his attention to the judgment to the woman. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. All right, we got to break this down too, guys. So now in judgment, he tells to the woman about pain in childbirth. So now we see the things that are associated with childbirth also in, include, including, <laughs> including the woman's monthly menstrual cycle, things related to childbirth. Why? Because these things have an association of pain of pain involved. So there is a pain in the monthly cycle of the woman that is now coming to be, the pain involved with that, 
and also that notice there is the shedding of blood. All of this relates back to the judgment of God. And ultimately, when the woman brings forth a child, it's very painful. Labor is, I've heard some women say that's the most painful thing you've ever experienced in your life. But not only does it speak of the childbirth itself, but the rearing, raising of children. Why? Because these children are going to have sinful natures. They're not going to be wonderful little children. They're going to be little human demons. <laughs> we know our children are and how difficult they will be. Right. So there will be pain in the child rearing process. OK. And finally, let's look at this last statement. All right. It's not something that the first thing is what God did. He brought the pain with the children and things of that nature. But the last statement, yet your desire will be for your husband, right? And he will rule over you. That is not something that God did. That is a statement of consequence. It is a statement of consequence of their disobedience. In other words, watch. Okay, let me explain it. So what happens now is the sin nature is now born in Eve and will be transmitted to all women. So every woman born in the world now has a sin nature and every man too, all of us do. Okay. But the point is this, what is the consequence? One of those evidences of that sin nature is the destruction of the relationship between the husband and the wife. The natural order. Remember, I told you in the previous video that when God created the woman, the, or the way that he created the woman, he he went to the man, created him from what? The ground, created the woman from what? The side. He brought the animals to the man. He named them. It was an example of an exercise of authority. He created the woman, brought the woman. God brought the woman to the man and the man named her. We saw that earlier. We're going to see that again in this chapter. It was an exercise of his authority over the woman. So the natural predetermined relationship, holy relationship between the man and the woman was for the man to be the head and the wife to submit to his authority. But Eve bucked that authority when she tried to go beyond Adam. And so now what we see God is saying is this will be a continuation. Why? The woman will constantly seek to overrule, to overstep, to be in control of her husband. She will constantly seek to dominate her husband or even as we say in and you hear it all the time in, in the today's vernacular concerning some women. I wear the pants in the family or you see a lot of this. Uh, 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 acquiescence of men. I have to ask my wife or I have to as if to seek her permission. He, 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 he gives up his leadership role. Some do that. Some do that. The leadership role in this type of a thing. So the whole point that I'm trying to make is this notice again, the, the desire, it does not mean she wants her husband to rule over her. The language of the Hebrew text says this. It speaks of the constantly reaching out to overtake his authority. So the woman, the point is this. As a result of their disobedience, the woman will continually seek 
to overrule, to rule over her husband. All right. And what is the further consequence? Here it is. He will rule over you. Now, I think that the, the word that is used here is a word that basically deals with dominate, dominate. What you have to see is this. All of this is negative. All of this is negative. As the woman seeks to rule over and dominate her husband, the husband responds in dominating his wife. In other words, the you have to see all of this is this. It's an opposite of the intended thing that God wanted. God, even though man was given the authority in the relationship, the husband was, all right? And he still is. In the, that's why it's written, Ephesians chapter 5. Husband is the head of the wife. And notice also too, Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wife. How love your wife? Like Christ loved the church. That he gave it. He gave himself up for it. To love your wife sacrificially. Give yourself up for your wife. Right? Nothing. You do anything for your wife. You won't disobey God. But you do anything for your wife because you love your wife like Jesus loves us. See, that's notice what Ephesians 5 does is it tries to bring the relationship between the husband and wife back to the way it was intended to be when God originally made them. But what happened is, and I got to finish explaining what's going on with Eve. When God says he'll rule over you is this, that loving relationship or should I say that loving leadership, that gentle leadership, a kind leadership that the man naturally would have had, it's gone now. And now you see instead of the man being a loving leader, the man now becomes a dominant and harsh ruler. And so now we have the introduction of what, what is the seed of domestic violence. This is the seed of what we have today, domestic violence. So now we have the destruction completely of the relationship between man and woman, husband and wife, even men and women, the male versus female, all of that mess. God says, this is the end result to what you have done. The woman tries to rule the man, but the man dominates the woman. And that domination even comes regrettably in force. That's wrong, but that's just the result. And that simply explains to you why we have what we have today. Okay. All right. You know what, guys? I think I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> Let's pick up on the next time. Let's finish this teaching of Genesis chapter 3 as we see what happens to Adam and the rest of the creation. Catch you next time.